You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire, and we return for a Taco Tuesday episode of the show. Now, unfortunately, it is a weird week on Locked on Ravens. Things are going to be switched up a little bit. Spencer Schultz is going to be joining me on Thursday for, I guess, Taco Thursday. Today, it's just going to be me. And because of this, it's going to give me an opportunity to talk about something that has come to fruition, or at least rumors have come to fruition over the last couple of days, and I want to take a moment to address them. And the pretty big rumors, if the deal happens, I think it'd be a pretty big, massive deal for the Ravens, and that is the potential acquisition of Jamal Adams, the Jets' star safety. Now, there are pros to this, there are cons to this, I can make an argument for, an argument against, It's interesting to talk about Jamal Adams in terms of him coming to the Baltimore Ravens. And so looking at that, you know, I just want to explore why this could be good for the team, why it potentially could be bad and backfire. There's a lot to kind of get into before making a definitive, I want this or I don't want this decision. So we're going to do that in the first segment. And then in the second and third segments, we're going to be taking a listen to an interview that I did with Justin Treese of the Talkin' Football podcast. It was really fun to talk to him and just really drop some Ravens knowledge on him and and his listeners. He's He's a jab. Jaguars fan, his co-host, I believe, is a Giants fan, so not as familiar with the Ravens as us Ravens flock. So we'll take a listen to that, hear what I had to say to Justin about the Ravens and how I'm really excited. We talked about Calais Campbell and a lot of different other things pertaining to the team. So we have a full slate today. Let's jump right in here. But before we do that, of course, this episode is again sponsored by Built Bar. Be sure to check out BuiltBar.com for their many amazing flavors and deals. Just go to BuiltBar.com. Also, go to Twitter and follow us at LockedOnRavens and my personal account at KOstriker34. And tell your friends that we are there for them if they want Ravens content Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. We deliver that content. So, with all that being said, let's jump right in. And we are going to start off with the potential Jamal Adams deal. Now, let's just jump back to around the trade deadline. There were rumors that Baltimore was interested in Jamal Adams and that they were players to actually acquire him. And that, along with the Dallas Cowboys, the Ravens and the Cowboys, those were the two teams that really were in play for him or at least had the best assets, the best deals on the table or whatnot. Now, fast forward to a couple of days ago, and you know, the show Jamal Adams saga with the Jets, it's been such a whirlwind. It's been, you know, he's going to hold out, and then he's happy to be on the Jets, and then, you know, he wants a new contract, and the Jets are going to negotiate with him, and then the Jets aren't going to negotiate with him, and then they want to keep him. It's just, it's just such a whirlwind. So with the potential of, you know, having that relationship get kind of rocky, maybe the Jets are shopping him, maybe they're not. But there have been reports that the Ravens have been in discussions with the New York Jets to acquire Jamal Adams. And you look at this Ravens roster right now, and I think Jamal Adams, if he were acquired, really pushed them over the top as Super Bowl favorites in not only the AFC, but the, the rest of the NFL really as well. Jamal Adams is a phenomenal player, and I guess I'll get into kind of the pros and why I would want the Ravens to do this deal before I get into the cons and why I wouldn't, because again, there, there is a, there's an argument for both sides, and I think the reason for that is just because Jamal Adams is such a good player 
that comes with both its pros and cons. Talking about the pros, Jamal Adams, extremely young, extremely versatile, and extremely good at the game of football. He is 6'1", 213 pounds, he is going into his fourth season out of LSU. And for Jamal Adams, had a decent rookie season at 83 total tackles, two sacks. But 2018 was really the year that he turned it up for the Jets. His first year as a Pro Bowl selection, 115 total tackles, nine tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, as well as three forced fumbles. And you look at Jamal Adams, he, he's a similar player to Chuck Clark. He's generally a box safety, someone who comes up, provides the thump in the run game, can also hold his own against tight ends, running backs out of the backfield, but is primarily known for playing downhill and getting to the ball carrier. In 2019, he missed a few games with an injury, only played in 14 games, and only had 75 total tackles, a far cry from his 115 in 2018, but still made the Pro Bowl and actually had six and a half sacks. You know, if Jamal Adams came into this Ravens defense, Don Martindale would have a blast. We saw how much he would bring Earl Thomas off the edge and got Earl Thomas a few sacks in the first of his career. With Jamal Adams already being a very established blitzer, you have another chess piece to your defense, plus someone who can really wrap up ball carriers, doesn't miss a ton of tackles, and his injury, not something that's going to be long-term for him. I think that his addition would really put this team over the top and when you look at Jamal Adams and look at the Ravens' defense, he just seamlessly fits right in. He would potentially, most likely, fit in the Chuck Clark role. But, you know, you, you make the argument that Jamal Adams is better than Chuck Clark. I mean, it's not really a contest. It's just a matter of who you would prefer, you know, with the money and with the talent level. There's a lot to kind of factor in. But Jamal Adams, the Ravens know that they have a window to go win a Super Bowl before they have to pay all these players on the offensive side of the ball, really big money. You look at Ronnie Stanley, you look at Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews, flip over the defensive side of the ball, you have Marlon Humphrey you have to pay. Jamal Adams is still on a very cheap deal. I mentioned he's on his rookie deal, has the last year plus the fifth year option. So technically two years of control if you pick up that fifth year option. But then we get into the cons. And I guess the number one overall con for me at least, would be the money that he would be owed after his deal is up. You don't make a trade for Jamal Adams or a player of Jamal Adams' caliber with the intention of letting him walk. You want to try to keep those players on your team, especially, and we'll get into this in a second, with the capital that you surrender to get a player like that. You look to the Laramie Tunsil trade. You look to the Jalen Ramsey trade. The Jaguars and the Dolphins both got two first-round picks. The Rams and the Texans surrendering those two first-round picks plus more. That gives them all the leverage in the world to negotiate. The Ravens cannot be put in that situation. Let's say the Ravens do give up first-round picks. Will that happen? No, I don't believe Eric DaCosta gives up that much for Jamal Adams. But, but let's say it happens or the Ravens give up a ton. That gives Jamal Adams all of the negotiating power in the world. What I think the Ravens would want to do with Jamal Adams if they were to acquire him were to kind of get him signed to an extension beforehand so that he can't have that leverage going in in a few years. You look to the Jalen Ramsey and Lemmy Tunsil do. Lemmy Tunsil blew the offensive tackle market out of the water. And Jalen Ramsey's going to do the same thing with the cornerback market, even though Byron Jones just did it with the Miami Dolphins. The, the ability to go and get a player like Jamal Adams always has its upsides. And of course, he'd make this Ravens team better. 
but you look at that and the capital. I mean, I talked about giving up two first-round picks. I really don't think Eric DaCosta does that personally. But honestly, if he was to go and, and trade for Jamal Adams, he would have to give up, I think, one of Chuck Clark and Earl Thomas. And I think Chuck Clark would be the guy there. Chuck Clark is young. He just got signed to a very good extension for his caliber of play. And when you look at Jamal Adams next to Chuck Clark, let's just look at them for 2019 because they both pretty much started a full season. Chuck Clark had 73 total tackles and a sack. Jamal Adams, 75 total tackles and six and a half sacks. Now, Chuck Clark is very versatile, but honestly, Jamal Adams is more versatile. So he's not going to put up the sack numbers, not going to put up the tackle for loss numbers that Jamal Adams does. But Chuck Clark provides his value in other ways. And the way that I really see Chuck Clark being vital to this Ravens team is because he has the green dot in his helmet. He is the leader of that defense in terms of making sure everybody is on the same page. And when you look at Jamal Adams, yeah, great player. But who are you going to move that green dot to? You're not going to give it to Adams because, well, he doesn't know the defense. He's a new piece in a defense that's very complicated. Earl Thomas, very smart, very instinctive player, said that the defense was very hard to pick up at first. I mean, that's tough for a guy like Jamal Adams to come into, especially with the whole coronavirus thing going on and not having the ability to go into the facilities and work with the coaches, work with your teammates. It's, it's all virtual right now. So how difficult is that going to be for Jamal Adams to catch up with that defense? Who are you going to give the green dot to? Is it going to be LJ Fort? Uh, is it going to be Earl Thomas? I mean, who is, who is it going to be for them? So a lot of things to take into account. If I had to pick a side, I personally think the reward is greater than the risk. I am personally in favor of it, but I'm really on the 50-50 side because when you look at it, the, the cons most likely outweigh the pros, especially in a few years. But right now, I just think the Ravens are in the prime position to go win, you know, one, two, three titles before you have to give all this money out and reduce your roster to a bunch of stars, but get rid of those mid-tier guys. You know, you can't have guys signed to Marcus Peters deals, Tavon Young deals, Willie Sneed deals, because you're going to need all that money for your stars. So you're going to have a roster, most likely, of, you know, Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Hollywood Brown, Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and a bunch of other guys as well, of course, but... I think that it's going to be less depth on this team once those guys get signed. You can't really have that depth when you have so many good stars on your roster. So for the Ravens, I think that getting Jamal Adams on a cheap deal would maybe extend their window by, let's say, a year because you can pick up that fifth-year option. And then you can say, look, we either keep him or we don't. We'd like to keep Jamal Adams, but hey, you know, we'd prioritize Lamar Jackson, prioritize Hollywood Brown. Giving up first-round picks, yes, that's difficult if I had to— to put together a compensation package it'd probably be a first round pick chuck clark and a fourth potentially for jamal adams that i think the jets would go for but look i mean i don't know exactly how it would work i don't know if the ravens signed him to an extension or not but right now i would trade for jamal adams but i'm really it's 51 49 for me we're going to head into our first break now, but when we get back, we're going to be listening to the first part of my interview with Justin Treese of the Talkin' Football podcast. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. But before we do that, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. They're tasty, they're healthy, and it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar in 16 amazing flavors. Eight in the chocolate and nut flavor and eight in the chocolate and nut free flavor, but they have added four new flavors to their repertoire. They're covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. They're great for the health conscious person as well. You can lose or maintain weight 
while indulging in a delicious treat. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the second segment of this Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostriker still hanging with you here. And as we get into our second segment, we are going to be listening to the first part of my interview with Justin Trius of the Talkin' Football Podcast. It was a great conversation, and I really hope you guys enjoy. So here we go. Let's just start off with the question that everybody of our listeners is going to want to know. And that is, with me being a Jags fan, how does it feel to just basically steal Calais Campbell? Oh, man. Well, it, it feels great. Uh, not necessarily the stealing part, but I think that feels a little good also. I feel like when you trade a fifth round pick for a guy like Calais Campbell, who, you know, not only a great player, as everybody knows, but but really an even better person. Uh, you look at him, Walter Payton, man of the year, and, you know, 33 years old right now, but still is plays in an exceptionally high level on the football field, then you look at what the Ravens wanted. I mean, everybody looks back at that Tennessee game where Derrick Henry runs all over the Ravens, and and you see them just getting gashed up the middle. They couldn't generate interior pressure throughout the entire season. You know, Clayus Campbell, six and a half sacks in 2019, but before that in the 2017 and 2018 seasons for the Jaguars, 14 and a half and then 10 and a half sacks. So in three years for Jacksonville, 31 and a half sacks. Plus the pressure, the veteran leadership. I mean, only giving up a fifth round pick for him is kind of just that sweetener on that deal. So I think that pairing him with Williams, who moves back to nose tackle, you know, Derek Wolf, who they add in place of Michael Brockers, that deal falls through. Their interior is looking mighty stout right now. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, and Clayus, he didn't get the sack totals last year, but the pressures were still there. He was still w- rated one of the top defensive ends in football. He has been for the last three years. I'm, I'll stick to it. In 2017, he should have won Defensive Player of the Year over uh, the sorry the uh, Aaron Donald. Like Clayus Campbell is a stud. You, I was sad to see him leave, but in, at the same time. Jags aren't going anywhere, so with him that uh, late in his career, I was happy to see him go to a contender. Let's just talk on, go on to something that you talked about on your last podcast, actually, and that's the Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. You and I both like Miles Boykin, think that he could have a big breakout year. So, what are your thoughts on how how is this wide receiver room going to play out for the Ravens? Well, it's very young. Uh, You look at Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin, the two you mentioned, and I think the Ravens are relying on those two to make huge jumps in 2020. The Ravens didn't go out and, you know, sign a stud wide receiver, you know, Robbie Anderson, Emmanuel Sanders, Amari Cooper. They haven't brought in uh, Antonio Brown, and whether that's, you know, because of their policy on domestic violence and and the off-field issues, there's that. But, you know, they have his cousin in, in Marquise Brown, and you know, the videos of him and Lamar Jackson, Antonio Brown, Jerry Judy working out together in Florida. Marquise Brown has taken it upon himself to get better. He was only playing, he said, around 70% last season because he had a screw on his foot, suffered a pretty brutal foot injury, and really didn't play up to his full potential. Still put up 46 receptions for 584 yards and seven scores. You know, had very good deep line speed, was able to run slants very well as well. He's actually a very polished route runner. People don't give him enough credit for that. And, you know, he only stands at 5'9". He's 170 pounds. That's pretty light, but he played actually under that total in 2019. So when you go and you look at him and then Miles Boykin next to him, Boykin and Lamar Jackson, I don't think we're ever on the same page last season. I've talked about that a lot. Only 13 receptions for 198 yards and three touchdowns. But, I mean, he's 6'4". He's 220 pounds. And I think the Ravens have a lot of trust in him because, again, I mentioned they didn't go out and draft a, a C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy in the first round and trade up for one of those guys. 
they want Miles Boykin to be that guy for them. To, they develop, and he becomes that stud. He has a very high catch radius. You know, he's a beast in the red zone as well. I believe three targets in the red zone, three touchdowns. So he's a red zone weapon. And him and Marquise Brown complement each other very well. And then you talk about drafting Devin DuVernay and James Prochet. You have Willie Sneed on the roster as kind of that veteran leader. And, I mean, the two oldest guys on the roster in the receiver room right now are Sneed and DeAnthony Thomas. Both are 27 years old. So it's a pretty young, youthful group. But I think with that comes a lot of potential and potential breakouts as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you brought up Devin DuVernay and James Prochet. So uh, Austin and I saw them at the Senior Bowl, and we were vo- both very impressed by both of them. He, he, Austin's a Texas fan, so he obviously has known DuVernay. But uh, we were very impressed by uh, Prochet and just his his ability just on practices, just on punt return alone, w- was catching everybody's eye. His, his quickness and being able to catch it like on the run and whatnot, I think that he's he has a real potential to make a difference in special special teams for you guys. Yeah, I think so too. And the Ravens haven't really, you know, had that guy at punt returner, kick returner ever since Jacoby Jones left. They've tried to go and fill out the the roster and that hole in particular. They tried Devin Hester as a veteran guy. They've tried drafting a few guys as well. It hasn't worked out with Duvernay. You have somebody you can place back at a punt return position like that. But also on the field, he's a slot guy. He has terrific speed in hands. And I mean, literally barely drops anything. And I think that's what the Ravens want. They've had these veteran receivers come in over the years. I'll, I'll mention Michael Crabtree as somebody who had those drop issues. It actually cost him a game against the Cleveland Browns back in 2018. I think the Ravens want guys, and then you talk about you know James Prochet as well, who won't drop the football, who are sure-handed targets for Lamar Jackson, and extend those throwing windows because there it is no secret Lamar Jackson had a historic season in 2019. If you want him to take that step up in 2020, not only does he have to improve on his skills, but I think the receivers you place around him have to make him better as well. And so maybe the stats won't be as gaudy next year for Lamar Jackson, but I think he'll get a lot more efficient as a passer because of guys like Duvernay and Prochet on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, actually, kind of going right into that, uh, I want to talk about Greg Roman and his scheme a little bit. What do you think is the difference is going to be this year compared to last year now that everybody kind of knows what the Ra- uh, Ravens are going to be doing? Obviously, it's hard. It's much easier to say stop the run of Lamar Jackson than it is. Like It's a lot easier to say it than do it. But what other differences do you think that uh, Greg Roman is going to bring? I think Roman's going to want to have Lamar Jackson throw the football a bit more. And I think with that, I think Lamar Jackson's improvement comes back up because, you know, Lamar Jackson was actually one of the best pocket passers in the league in 2019, which a lot of people don't give him credit for. When you go and look at his throwing on the run, that's an area of his game where he has made plays but could still stand to improve. When you look at the Ravens offense, it's like their scheme There are so many different plays they can run out of the same look. So you can have them in the pistol formation and three different things can happen. You can have, say it's Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. You know, Lamar Jackson can put the ball in Ingram's belly and he can, Mark Ingram take it. He'll run it up the middle. Lamar Jackson could also put the ball in Mark Ingram's belly and pull it back and run around. And that's the same exact look. He could also put the ball in the belly, throw it, you know, pull it back and throw the football. That's three different looks, three very different plays with the same look. So with Roman, it's about keeping that continuity the same in terms of making everything look the same. And that, in turn, requires the the defense to be extremely disciplined, especially those edge guys. When you talk about, you know, 
for the Ravens, it would be Pernell McPhee or Matthew Judon setting the edge, not crashing, not being overly, you know, adept to the run plays and being faked out by that. But overall, I think Rome is going to want to throw this football a little bit more and be able to kind of mix it up with teams. Get the Ravens in field goal position. I think that's going to be his primary concern, as it has been, you know, ever since coming to Baltimore, even before it was the offensive coordinator. I think he saw what Marty Morningweg was doing and kind of wanted to build that system around Lamar Jackson, and that has really made Lamar Jackson be the player he is because he's in a system that fits him. He has receivers that fit him, the tight ends, they fit him. And I think just going into 2020, it's about staying the same but also tweaking things just a tiny bit to keep the defenses on their toes. I actually totally agree with that. So, all right, so speaking of the offense, um, you guys now have whatever you want to call it, four- or five-headed monster in the backfield, if you want to add Lamar Jackson to that or not. Um, So you guys, first off, at pick uh, 55, I believe it was, uh, with uh, J.K. Dobbins, just a complete steal. Uh, He was my running back one, so I loved getting that. You obviously already had Ingram. I know that you personally love Edwards, so that's awesome. Justice Hill, I think, is one of the best athletes in the game right now and just hasn't gotten the opportunity with him being a rookie last year. And then Jackson. So I know that they've brought up and said that they wanted to do the four-headed monster. If that's a reality or not, who knows? Four, Four people running the ball is a lot. I don't know if you can ever get a running back into a groove or not. So how do you see this backfield kind of playing out in 2020 and 2021? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, you mentioned it can sometimes be tough to get a running back in a groove if he's, you know, not getting 15, 20 carries, 25, even a game. And with Mark Ingram, you have somebody who really just seamlessly fit into this Baltimore, you know, not only on the field, but in the locker room, the Baltimore locker room. So then you bring in J.K. Dobbins. And I think J.K. Dobbins for Baltimore, he's the future. And I think, you know, if I I could have had it my way, maybe I would have taken somebody else and then had Gus Edwards kind of be that guy for Baltimore. Because I think that he's eventually going to leave because the, the carries aren't there for him. He's had over five yards of carry in each of the past two years for Baltimore, the two years he's been in the NFL. And then you mentioned Justice Hill. Those are four quality running backs. Now, Mark Ingram does have a $6 million cap hit for next year. So eventually, you know, if the season rolls along and rolls on and Mark Ingram, the production either dips or he gets injured, maybe the Ravens try to restructure that deal or maybe cut him all together and save a little bit of money that goes toward Ronnie Stanley or Marlon Humphrey or even, you know, way towards in the future with Lamar Jackson. But you have to see that I think J.K. Dobbins is is – ultimately going to be the future for the Ravens. You look at Gus Edwards, he's on a one-year deal right now. He signed his exclusive rights tender for them. And I think this is going to be his last year because there's no way that this guy is not a starter in the NFL for any team. And I, I just want him and you know players who deserve opportunities to get those opportunities. But Justice Hill, I think it'd be premature for them to give up on a guy who they selected in the fourth round so early, especially, you know, just a few years back. But I mean, with the depth on this roster, there might be some sacrifices that have to be made. Maybe Edwards is traded in a preseason deal. Maybe it's Hill who's the odd man now. But for Baltimore, if they do stay true to what they want with this four-headed monster at running back, and you mentioned five, if you maybe want to include Lamar Jackson in there potentially. I think that it's going to be difficult to give all the running backs the carries necessary to, you know, really get into that groove. And then looking to 2021, I think that's the year the J.K. Dobbins takeover really begins. We are going to head into our second break, but when we return, we're going to be talking with Justin again and hearing the second part of my interview with him. So stay tuned for that and we will be right back. 
Welcome back to the final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Oshreker is still here with you. We've talked about Jamal Adams. We've heard the first part of my interview with Justin. Now comes the second part. Here's what we talked about. So the schedules obviously came out a couple weeks ago. What's your initial thoughts on the schedule so far? The schedule for Baltimore, I, th- I think it's a, it's the way it played out was very good for them. I think having five primetime games, it's going to challenge this team, and I think that's what they need. Uh, you know, obviously going and playing Kansas City or Kansas City coming to Baltimore. It's going to be interesting to see how Baltimore reacts to having two Thursday night games in a row. The Ravens have the easiest strength of schedule, you know, when looking at 2019 record. Now, obviously, that's because Cincinnati's on their schedule twice and they had the worst record in the league. You play the whole NFC East, which you know, didn't have the best year themselves. But when you look at the Ravens and their schedule, they made a habit a few years ago of playing down to opponents. And I think that gave them, you know, at least their records, some blemishes that shouldn't have been there. When you look at 2019, they were able to blow out teams they were supposed to blow out. And then the tough games came against, you know, quality opponents. Now, Cleveland, that probably should have been a game you won in week four. But this year you go and the end of that schedule, you play the Bengals and you play the Giants and you play the Jaguars. People will say, oh, man, that's an easy three and oh. Well, you can't take any opponent lightly when you talk about the NFL because they're all professional football players. Maybe these teams are tired of tanking. Maybe Jacksonville, you know, at this point is whatever it is, they've lost 10 straight games and they just want to win. You know, if the Ravens are cruising into, you know, a first round bye or playoff seating, that could potentially be a trap game for Baltimore. You look at Cleveland, you know, is Cleveland finally going to get over that hump? Ben Roethlisberger coming back, you know, is that going to cause them trouble? Baltimore has an easy schedule in terms of 2019 strength of schedule. But again, nothing's taken for granted in this league. The Ravens, I think, don't have to travel a bunch. I think they travel the least throughout any team in the entire league. So that's going to help them quite a bit after having that grueling West Coast schedule last year. So overall, I think Baltimore has a pretty good schedule for the ability to go get well rested and be able to perform week in and week out. I don't want to put you on the spot. Do you have uh, any sort of prediction on uh, win-loss record? Uh, well, I've, I've stuck with it. Uh, I say 15 and one. Uh, I'll explain to you why. Uh, I believe that for Baltimore, this this year is the year that they either go to the Super Bowl or win it. I'm pretty confident in their ability to do that. And the reason I say that is because you look at the additions they made. Baltimore got stronger on the interior of their defensive line, as we talked about a little bit earlier. Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, Brandon Williams gets to move back to nose tackle where Michael Pierce was playing and kind of created that log jam. I think with that pass rush, plus the secondary with Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters, you have Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark in the secondary. I mentioned Lamar Jackson might not have, you know, as gaudy of a stat line as he did in 2019, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to have a worse season. I think that he'll be more efficient with the football. He'll be smarter with the football. And in turn, you know, the Ravens don't have to go and blow out teams 45 to 6 like they did the Rams on Monday Night Football. If they beat them by three points, a win's a win. If they beat them by, you know, 10 points, a win's a win. And for Baltimore, I don't necessarily think we're going to see those blowout losses come as much in 2020 just because of the fact that maybe the defenses get a little bit better. Maybe the Ravens feel the loss of Marshall Yonda a little bit, and that, you know, creates a hole for Lamar Jackson. But I think this defense is perfectly set up to complement the offense. This is a defense that can hold leads when it's necessary. And if the offense is struggling to put points on the board like it was happening against the Tennessee Titans in the playoffs when it really mattered, 
you know, then the defense, I think, you know, last season wasn't probably built to contain Derrick Henry. This defense is built to stop the run, to rush the passer, and to cover very tightly. So I think that compared with, you know, the Ravens defense of 2019, it's eons better. And then you talk about the offense, which really didn't lose a ton of starters outside of Marshall Yonda, and then Hayden Hurst put in there as well. I think it goes hand in hand with the success they'll have. I like it. 15 and one. That's uh, that's bold and I, I'm all for it. So who, who do you think that loss is to then? I actually have it as Cleveland in week one. And the reason oh. I say that is because I think the Ravens have played, you know, throughout the last few years and throughout their entire history, really, as the underdog, somebody who is not given enough credit. And then, you know, every year they seem to outperform expectations or at least get right there. And then they kind of play from the shadows. That was a very different feeling for Baltimore last season. And the feeling I'm talking about is being the ones that are not the hunters, but the hunted. You know, Baltimore obviously goes and blows out Miami in week one, comes back and beats Arizona in week two. And, you know, then it's the two and two, but then you go and win 12 straight games, obviously establishing themselves as one of the powerhouses in this league. And I think that with the Ravens having that target on their back, Cleveland, obviously, I think got better. They're actually my seven seed. I think they're finally going to get over that hump and make the playoffs once again. And overall, once Baltimore kind of gets into the groove of playing, I think that things are going to go swimmingly for them. Uh, Obviously, winning 15 straight games is a tough task. But I believe that with the roster and after taking a loss like they did against Tennessee and then to come in week one and potentially lose that game to the Browns, I think that's all the motivation you need to say, look, we were down against Tennessee. Now people don't believe in us because we lost to Cleveland and it's the same old, same old. Let's turn on the Jets and let's go win some football games. And I think that's what Baltimore is going to end up doing. Now, if that loss doesn't come in week one to Cleveland, I think it's going to come in week 14 to Cleveland. I just think Cleveland always gives the Ravens problems for some reason. Uh, I think it's the offense and the defense they run. It, It counters what the Ravens do. But overall, I think that, you know, whether it's Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, the AFC North is going to be a much tougher division than it was last year. And that could contribute as well. Yeah. uh, A couple episodes ago when we did the draft recap for the AFC North, we were saying that this is probably the best draft for a division there were. There wasn't a draft that we didn't like. So it was very hard grading those drafts. Uh, just because we liked every single team. So uh, we agree with you there. Um, You kind of brought up Yonda retiring and whatnot. So the question I have is, what do you think is the biggest weakness on this Ravens team heading into 2020? I think for Baltimore, it's the veteran leadership at a few positions. I mentioned the wide receiver room. It's it's a bit young. Uh, What that means is guys are just going to have to grow and step up. Uh, I mean, the Ravens didn't bring in a veteran. Uh, They let Seth Roberts go, uh, someone who I think was very undervalued, uh, had a pretty big drop in the Tennessee Titans game. And I think that really soured a lot of Ravens fans' opinions on him. But when he was on the field, he was very productive. I think Miles Boykin replaces that production and Duvernay replaces that production. You look at the outside linebacker position, the Ravens brought back Pernell McPhee. But at the moment, excluding the undrafted free agents, you only have four guys right now on the roster who I think are going to be able to play meaningful snaps, and that is Matthew Judon, Tyus Bowser, Jalen Ferguson, and McPhee himself. You can look at the interior offensive line and I guess the whole offensive line room in general. Uh, there are potentially three positions that are open on that interior. Uh, you know, you could put Ben Bredesen, the fourth rounder out of Michigan, at left guard. You can put Matt Skura, who is coming off a torn ACL, MCL, PCL, and dislocated kneecap on the same play against the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, how is he going to come back from that injury? Is Ben Powers, the guy who learned for a year under Marshall Yonda, is he going to come in and, you know, potentially be the next great guard for Baltimore? 
there are a lot of unknowns in the interior offensive line, but I think Baltimore has stacked up enough young talent where they can find three guys who can produce and can come in and give Lamar Jackson a good protection wall for the season. So if I had to pick a weakness, I mean, the roster up and down is pretty sound right now, but maybe adding a veteran at a few positions here wouldn't hurt. Awesome. Cool. Um, and then one final question for you that we like to do with all of our guests, and that is, hey, let's pretend we're a football player. It's late in the season. Uh, it's time to do my cleat, my cause. Uh, do you have a cause or what type of cleat you'd want to wear? Well, I, th- I think in the spirit of what's going on in the world right now, this might be a very popular answer, but I think all the COVID relief uh, situations and funds that are going on right now, uh, it's, it's very important, especially to me, not only to bring sports back, to, but, but to get the world, you know, relatively healthy and safe again. That's what I'm looking forward to. And, you know, if I had my choice to to donate to and to really make an impact for a cause, you know, the way that the coronavirus has impacted the world, you know, not just the United States, but the world in general, you know, it's been nothing I could have imagined in my wildest dreams. It's just, you know, everybody's inside, or at least the ones who are, are, are doing a good service to everybody. And it seems to be dividing the world in some instances. And I think that for me, being able to kind of bridge that gap and do everything I can to help, that's really my cause that I would contribute to. And I think that it's very important right now that everybody just stays safe and stays healthy, because that's ultimately what we can do to beat this virus is do everything we can to stay inside, not spread the virus and get back to, to how we were doing. Again, a big thanks to Justin for letting me come on his show and speak a little bit of Raven's knowledge to his listeners, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well. But that's all that I have for you guys today. And when we get back tomorrow, we'll be starting a new series, a new Wednesday series. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.